At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. I want to continue today this series under the theme, Keep the Fire Burning. <clears throat> Keep the Fire Burning. And the focus of this series is about the altar. It is about the altar, the ministry of prayer, the ministry of intercession. I want you to turn with me in the book of Leviticus, chapter 6, verse 13. We read it last week and we'll be reading it each week because it is the foundational scripture upon which the teaching is given. But there will be three primary texts that I'm going to draw your attention to in the book of Genesis as we get into the text today. Leviticus chapter 6 verse 13 if you'll stand for the reading of the word of God. The word of God reads like this. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. That was a command that God gave Israel. Let me read it one more time. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. And those of you who are students of the Bible, you know that in the book of Hebrews, the word of God tells us that our God is a consuming fire. You, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Look at somebody, tell them, keep the fire burning. <clears throat> As we embrace the revelation that God is speaking into our lives at this moment, we understand how important it is for us to recognize the significance of the foundational scripture for this text and for our teaching. For Leviticus chapter 6 verse 13, God commanded the children of Israel to keep the fire burning on the altar. That is to say that the fire was to burn perpetually all day and all night. It was to keep burning every day. It was to never go out. The fire on the altar represents the manifestation of God's power and his presence. The altar is the place of worship. The altar is the place of prayer, <clears throat> and it is the place of intercession. Abraham had an encounter with God. And because he had an encounter with God, everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar to God. I need to say to you this morning that like Abraham, I too have had an encounter with God. 
As a matter of fact, not only have I had a encounter with God, <clears throat> but I have had several encounters with God. I had an encounter with God when he saved me. When he brought me into a saving relationship with him, it was a personal encounter with God wherein I came to know him as my personal Lord and Savior. But I had another encounter with God at the age of 19 because it was in that encounter that God called me to become a proclaimer of his gospel. Since that time, I've had other encounters with God in my ministry experience. I had an encounter with God several years ago when the church was on Dixon Highway where God wanted to free me to flow fully in his spirit. And so he put me on the floor one Sunday morning in front of the congregation and wouldn't let me get up until I understood that I had to be so open to him that I would not be ashamed of however he would purpose to use me in any capacity as it related to the kingdom of God. And since then, I've had an encounter with God it recently where God made it clear to me that I have placed another mantle on your life is a mantle that represents the anointing that I have poured upon you. And I need you to have the courage and the conviction to wear the mantle and to walk in the mantle because I purpose through your life to bless others. I've had an encounter with God. And because I've had an encounter with God, then like Abraham, I recognize the importance of having an altar. So here at the Canaan Church, we have an altar here in front of the pulpit. It is a place that is anointed. It is a place that is set apart. It is a place where we come, we kneel, we pray. We pray for others. And we believe God for a supernatural touch and flow of his presence in our lives. Sometimes during the week I will come into the sanctuary and I will sit on the first pew by myself during the week here at the altar. It is there I can pour out my heart to God and it is there that I can hear God speaking to my spirit. But I also have an altar in my home. I've got a space, I have a place that has been set aside and dedicated in my home where I can get away and I can talk to God and spend time with him. This is not the prayer that I pray climbing into the bed. This is not the prayer that I wanna spend two minutes in the morning before I leave the house. But it's a place where I want to tarry. I want to sit there for a while. Because not only do I want to speak to God, but I want to be there long enough to let God speak to me. But I've also come to understand, realize, and value that I've also have an altar in my heart. 
so that there's nowhere I can be where God is not. And God has helped me understand that you, every child of God needs to have an altar in their heart and you don't need to let anybody else or anything else occupy that space. That is a space that you ought to reserve for you and God alone. I love my wife and she loves me, but my heart is the sanctuary. The heart is the place reserved for God. Because I need a place because sometimes in life you'll find out you ain't got time to run to the altar at the church. If you live long enough, you realize you can't get to the altar at your house. But it's good to know that when the storms of life are raging, and when the winds of adversity are blowing contrary, and when the devil's trying to disrupt the spiritual equilibrium of your life, that wherever you are, you can look within your own heart, call the name of Jesus. And then find out that wherever you are and whatever the circumstances might be, that God is your refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. I wish I could just talk to about five people who could testify. Pastor Abraham had an encounter. Pastor, you had an encounter. But Pastor, I too have had a personal encounter with God. And because of that, Pastor, I understand the significance of the altar. If I'm talking to you, why don't you just shout real loud, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Abraham had an encounter with God. And there are three passages of scripture that I want to bring to your attention, all found in the book of Genesis. And these three passages of scripture will begin to delineate and to describe the experience that Abraham had with God and the result of the altar that he built and worshiped God because of the encounter that he had with God. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 12. We'll look at Genesis chapter 13. And we'll look at Genesis chapter 15. If you turn to Genesis now, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, and let's read verse 7. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. The word of God reads like this. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. He was called Abram before he was called Abraham. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Can I, can I read that one more time? <clears throat> because somebody should have just started praising God when I started reading that scripture if you, if you just are hearing what God is saying. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, he said something to Abram. Well, what did he say? To your descendants, I will give this land. You're going to get it in about three minutes. And there he built an altar 
to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, you understand the context of this passage of scripture. Abraham, or as known then, Abram, has been called by God to leave the country where he lived, to leave his family, to look for a land that he knows not of. God promises Abraham and says to Abraham in the call, he says, I'm going to make your name great. I will make you the father of a great nation, and through your seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. Abraham is 75 years old. He's an old man already when he gets the call. But Abraham is willing to exercise his faith in God. So he accepts the call, he accepts the challenge, and Abraham begins to follow God, and he's traveling on nothing but a promise. And because Abraham is willing to accept the call, willing to accept the challenge by faith, and travel on nothing but a promise, then God speaks to Abraham again and gives him a few more details concerning the promise that he's made over his life. So God says to Abraham, to your descendants, I will give this land. And God said to Abraham, to your descendants, I will give this land. God makes a proclamation that he's going to bless people who have yet to be born. I'm going to give this land to your descendants. He's making a promise to Abraham about people who are yet to be born. Which means then that when God is blessing you, he's not only blessing you in the right now, but he's blessing you in your future. He, he's not the God who just blesses you today, but he blesses you tomorrow. He blesses you tomorrow before tomorrow gets here. So that means that God can bless you but not only will God bless the mother and the father, but God's going to bless the son and the daughter. And not only will God bless the son and the daughter, but God's going to bless the grandchildren. And not only will God bless the grandchildren, but God's going to bless the great-grandchildren. And not only will God bless the people who are in your lineage, in your family, in your house, but he'll start blessing other folk who come into contact with you because God's going to allow you to become a special person for him so that he can magnify his name to others because of what he's doing through you. Now the reason why that is shouting information is because none of us have always had it that way. Which means that if your house has been characterized by generational curses, it don't have to stay like that. That God can transform your house from a place of generational curses to a place of generational blessing. The devil don't have to always keep having his way in your house. There comes a point where you can say no more. It may have been like this in the past, but it ain't going to be like that with me. It may have been like this with my parents, but it ain't going to be like this with me. And it ain't going to be like this with my child. It ain't going to be like this with my grandchild. Because I got to a place 
where I started believing God for who God is and I put my foot down and I said God have your will and have your way because I don't want to keep on living a life where the devil is yanking my chain I don't want to keep on living pitiful and pathetic I don't want to keep on living with unnecessary problems I don't want to keep living with depression I don't want to keep on living with fear and fretfulness I'm getting up now in the morning declaring this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it I've come to the place where I'm making the affirmation that if God is for me who can be against me that's the reason for you to shout that's the reason for you to praise God because, because can't we go on and tell the unmitigated truth there was a point in time in my life and in your life when we did not have a personal relationship with God we were unsaved we were lost we were on our way to hell don't be trying to perpetrate this morning and make people think that you've always been in church even if you attended church church wasn't in you there was a point in time in your life when you did not have that walk with God. You didn't have that intimacy with God. So you were really trying to do your own thing. You were drifting and you wasn't dreaming. You were walking around in circles, but you didn't have a vision for your life. You was trying to operate out of your own strength and out of your own capacity. But life has a way of showing you that you're not as strong as you think you are. You're not as equipped as you feel that you are. But aren't you glad today that at some point along the journey you met Jesus for yourself and when he found you at ground zero he didn't leave you where he found you but he picked you up and turned you around he gave you a future he gave you a tomorrow he gave you a purpose he gave you a vision he gave you power he put you in touch with what his will is for your life he helped you to become enlightened on the gifts the time and the abilities that he had endowed in your life and now you can declare I am walking up the king's highway and I'm living and I got a bright tomorrow and my tomorrow looks better than my right now and the best is yet to be so I'm thanking God for Jesus I'm thanking him for what he means to my children my grandchildren I'm blessing God for his covering over my life because he's made me a promise that he ain't just going to be good to me but he's going to be good to a future generation yeah. hallelujah and, and when God makes this promise to Abram what does Abram do in response to the promise Abram builds an altar. He, he builds an altar because that is the proper response when God speaks a promise over your life. When God gives you a vision, the proper response is to build an altar. Because when God gives you a promise and God puts vision in your life, you ought to worship him and give him glory, give him honor, and give him praise. Because the altar is the place, beloved, where visions and dreams and promises are given to the people of God from God. 
and the altar is the place where the vision and the promise is spiritually ratified. At the altar, God speaks to us. I wish I had three people who still believe that God will talk to you. At the altar, God will give you a vision. At the altar, God will make a promise concerning your life. But the vision and the promise gets ratified as we spiritually respond to God in the right way. And so we spiritually respond to God in the right way by exercising our faith. So the book of Hebrews says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it is the evidence of things not seen. The writer goes on to say that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I cannot please God unless I know God is. That's not a general statement. I'm not believing just in some general God. I'm believing God is because the God who is is the God I've come to know for myself. I believe God is and I believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I don't have to twist his arm. I ain't got to beg him. I ain't got to plead with him. I don't have to do anything extraordinary for God to bless me because God desires to bless his people. He will reward those who diligently seek him. Now I'm going to seek him by faith. Faith it's not a definition, it's just a description. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, which means faith is my conviction. And it is the evidence of things not seen, which means faith is my certitude. So the reason I'm going to believe God for the vision that he gave me and for the promise that he made to me at the altar is I'm going to say yes to his will, yes to his way, because I'm exercising my faith. So when God says, here's the vision I have for your life, and here is the promise I'm speaking over your life, I'm going to accept what God is saying it doesn't matter how ma magnificent it might appear to be how, how much is going to stretch me God's calling me to believe the impossible but I'm going to believe God for the impossible God's calling me to embrace a dream that's going to have to move me beyond my own personal resources beyond my capacity beyond my capability in other words God what you say you're going to do is something that if you don't make it happen God I know it ain't going to happen Happen, but I'm going to trust you for it no matter how extreme it might appear to be. And the reason I'm going to believe you for it, God, is because I've got conviction. I've got conviction because I've got history with you. Therefore, God, whatever you tell me today, your word is good with me. And your word is good with me because this ain't the first time we talk. Your word is good with me because this ain't the first time you told me you was going to do something. And what you told me you was going to do then, you did it. Your word is good with me, God, because I've seen you step into my life. 
light and make a way when it looked like it was no way. I've seen you, God, open doors that I know I couldn't open, and I saw you shut some doors that I couldn't shut. I've seen you, God, give me victory over my enemies. I've seen you, God, deliver me from the foul of the snare. So, God, I know what you can do because I've already seen you do it. So, I'm operating on convictions, and because I've got convictions, I ain't got no reason to doubt now that the God who has done it, it cannot be the God who's going to do it right now. Have I got anybody in this house that's got history with God? That God's already worked a miracle in your life before. He's already healed you, already delivered you, already strengthened you, already made a way. Have I got any parents in here who knows what it means to raise children on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Have I got anybody in here who knows what it means? I don't feel well, but I can't go to a doctor, so I'm going to kneel by my bed and ask God to bring healing in my life. Have I got anybody here that's been in a place in your life? Oh, I know you're planning your meals now two weeks out in advance, but do you remember when you had more month than you had money, and yet God seemingly met that check stretch and provided what you needed? You may not have always had what you wanted, but you always had what you needed. You ought to say somebody, I've got conviction. I've got history with God. Don't tell me what God can't do because I've already seen him do it. Somebody might need to take a praise break right now if you keep that tape on rewind. And, and, and not only is faith a conviction, but faith is certitude. It is the evidence of things not seen. See, you missed another place to shout, but I'm going to be kind and I'm going to rewind it because that sounds like an oxymoron. Okay, let me say it slowly to this crowd over here. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. How can you have evidence if you haven't seen it? Let me go over to this group right here. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. I have yet to see it, but I have the audacious audacity to tell somebody I got evidence. How can you have evidence and you ain't seen it? Well, the reason I got evidence and I ain't seen it is because my faith allows me to operate with certitude. That I so believe God that even when he promised me something that's going to happen in the future, I believe God and trust God so much that uh, it's so certain that he's going to do it that my tomorrow appears that is already happening in my right now. I have not seen it manifested in my life, but I have seen it revealed in my spirit.
and since he made it so clear and clear in my spirit I can wait for it to show up in the flesh so although I don't have it yet it doesn't mean I ain't gonna have it and I'm so certain that I'm gonna have it I've learned how to shout in my today for the tomorrow that ain't happened yet I don't need tomorrow to already be here I can shout about tomorrow before tomorrow gets here because I'm so certain that tomorrow's gonna come I've learned how to praise him while it's still on the way I need somebody who has a not yet praise do you have the new job not yet you never say you ain't got it never tell somebody you ain't got it you just always say I ain't got it yet have you moved into your new home not yet have you got engaged not yet have you been healed not yet have you been delivered not yet have you paid the house off not yet do I need to keep on going down this road can I find just one child of God that can holler like you done lost your mind because you gonna praise God for what you are about to receive I know how to shout on yesterday's blessing. I know how to shout on what God's doing for me right now on Sunday morning. But I've learned how to praise God for next Friday. I've learned how to praise him for next month. I know how to praise him for 2024 and 2025 and 2026 and 2027. I know how to give God a praise for the future before the future gets here so I'm thinking God your hand is so strong on my life that I know that I ain't seen the best yet cause I'm still here since I'm still here there must be a blessing coming that you still want to reveal in my life Look, look, just look at somebody say, just look at somebody say, I know that you have a propensity to come to church and holler. And I want to know why you come hollering every Sunday. Now look back and jump on, it's easy. It ain't that difficult. It ain't that deep. The reason I holler every time I come it's not just because of what he has done it ain't just because he's doing right now but I keep hollering because eyes have not seen ears have not heard and neither has it entered to the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him and I've learned how to shout on the word prepared because if it's prepared it means God ain't got to put it together if it's prepared it's already there he's just got to get me to it so if I keep on walking by faith if I keep going in the direction that he told me to go into I'm getting ready to run smack dab into my miracle As a matter of fact, it done got so good with me 
I done learned how to shout in the devil's face. Because what I discovered is every challenge, every disruption, every hurdle is the devil trying to keep me from going in the direction I'm going because he knows I'm headed for my blessing and he wants to get me sidetracked. He wants me to turn around but I just keep on going in spite of the challenge. I keep on going. In spite of the hardship, I keep on going. In spite of the disappointments, I keep on going because I'm saying, devil, I have learned not to take the negative negatively. I've learned how to take the negative positive because if I wasn't doing God's will you wouldn't have no reason to come against me so your coming against me is a confirmation that I'm closer my blessing is in tomorrow I ain't got it today but if I keep on walking by faith Tomorrow I'm closer than I was yesterday. And the next day I'm closer than I was yesterday. And the next day I'm closer than I was yesterday. I double dog day to keep on trusting him. I double dog day to keep on walking in faith. Because if you keep walking in faith, sooner or later. Your miracle, your blessing, your breakthrough. Is gonna come to pass. I got to hurry up. I got to hurry. Beloved of God, beloved of God, listen to me. Beloved of God, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I've got a word from the Lord. We are at a place in history where God is pouring out his spirit in unimaginable ways. We're living in the dispensation of grace. We're living in the time of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. God made himself known as Father. He sought us and we wouldn't seek him. He made himself known as son in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the, for the forgiveness of our sins. But before Jesus was crucified, he says, I got to go, but I won't leave you like an orphan. I'll send another comforter. I'll send the paracletos. I'll send the spirit of truth. And he will abide in you always and forever. It is the resurrected Christ who said to the early church, go tarry in Jerusalem. And after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall receive power. And you shall be witness of me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the utmost parts of the earth. The early church was in an upper room. What were they doing? They were praying. Which means they were at the altar. A waiting room became a receiving room. Because on the day of Pentecost, the promise was fulfilled. Luke says that the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind, set upon them like cloven tongues of fire, and miracles and signs and wonders broke out. We, right now in history, are living at a point in time when God is rebirthing the church. Come on, child of God, listen to me. Listen to me. 
This ain't feel good. This is shout. He's rebirthing the church. What are you trying to tell me, Pastor? What I'm trying to tell you is God wants me to tell you he wants to do something great and something grand in your life spiritually. Because he wants you to be a spiritual reference point for him. The promise of Joel, and I will pour out my spirit, has come to pass. The early church had so much power that if they passed under Peter's shadow, they got healed. So much power that when they got to Thessalonica, they said, these who turned the world upside down have come here also. Canaan, if they were turning the world upside down, we ought to be able to turn our community upside down. We ought to be able to turn our neighborhood upside down. We ought to be able to turn the city upside down. The Holy Spirit wants to use you and I to take this city for Christ. This is not a motivational speech. This is an oracle. This is a declaration of God. He wants us to take the city for Christ. In fact, God would have me to tell you that he wants us to get to the place where we have regional impact. We're getting ready to affect Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Tennessee, regionally. We're gonna have national impact. We're impacting people all across the nation. A sister watched the Bible study Wednesday and she called the church and said, your pastor's word was so strong, your church seems to be so on fire for God. She says, I would that what he taught last night on Wednesday was delivered at every public school system across the nation. And she said, I'm thinking seriously about joining your church virtually. God says we can have international impact in other countries. But you got to be open to the Holy Ghost. You, you got to believe that the fire of God can and will show up in your life. Come, Holy Spirit, come, Heavenly Dove. Breathe on us. Break me, make me, mold me, fill me. How is it, uh, Joe? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And with thanksgiving, I'll be willing to be a sanctuary for you. Anybody want to be a sanctuary for the Holy Ghost? I, I want God to live in me. I want God to show up in me. 
because I've been saved to be a glory carrier. Somebody wants to know what Jesus, who Jesus is and what God is like. You ought to want to live in such a way that any day, any time, any place, you can say, look at me. That's what Peter and John told the man at the gate called beautiful. Selling gold have we none. But look on us. Took him by the right hand and said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Why don't you go to somebody this week and say, look on me. Tell them, take my hand. Because God sent me by to tell you, rise up and start walking in the fullness of God. Hallelujah. Turn to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. Beginning with verse 1. This is another encounter and it's another altar experience. Then Abram went up from Egypt he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him to the south. Verse 2 says, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. That, that means the brother was financially well off. I'm not a preacher who's proclaiming a prosperity gospel that says materialistic things is what really defines your faith. I'm not in that group. But I can ask you, why do you want to be poor? I just want to know, what is it about poverty that you like? Because poor people go to hell too. It ain't just hell's a place for the rich. Poor people make that too. And while I don't believe that materialistic things define my relationship with God, at the same time, I believe that I serve a God who gives me favor and a God who blesses me and a God who says, I have significance, I have worth, I count. Therefore, I have the right to access everything else that God has made available to people in the world. Because the reason, oh, I'm going to speak truth to power. I'm getting ready to kill a demon show enough now. The only reason poverty exists, let me say this slowly, the only reason poverty exists is not because there's not enough resources to meet everybody's need. The reason why poverty exists is because there's not enough resources to meet everybody's greed. So some people monopolize the resources to the exclusion of the poor. So you can go to any city in America and on one side of the town you can find opulent wealth and you go on another side of town and you can find object poverty. 
it ain't by accident. That at some point we ought to quit thinking we were born to be this way. The devil is a lie. I was born with the same integrity as anybody else. Hallelujah. Verse 3 says, And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And then there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, I don't want you to miss this. In chapter 12, God gave Abram a, a vision and a promise. In response to that, what did Abraham do? He built an altar. Now Abraham is moving forward with his family and with Lot. But as he moves forward, God keeps on blessing him. As God keeps blessing him, the Bible says that Abram went back to the altar that he first built. And there he communed with God. The altar is not the place that you just go to when you got trouble. The altar is the place you go to when you have triumph. The altar is not the place that you just go to when you got problems. The altar is the place you go to when you have so many reasons to praise God. And the reason being because whether you're on the mountain or whether you're in the valley, you always need God. And if you are spiritually wise, you will stay at the altar all the time. Every day you will spend time at the altar because if God is blessing you, you have to anticipate that the enemy is going to try to do something to disrupt the course. So the Bible says that God blessed Abram so much that the land that they were living in was not able to handle how blessed they were. Because they were living in abundance. Now, Abraham or Abram is blessed. Lot is blessed because Lot is under the covering of Abram. Because God didn't speak the vision or the promise to Lot. It was spoken to Abram. Uh, uh, but Lot becomes a beneficiary of the promise that God made to Abram. Some people mess up their lives because they don't know how to live under the blessing of another person. That you're blessed not because God made the promise to you, but you're blessed because he made it to somebody else. See, see, your mother and your father may have already gone home to be with the Lord. What's happening in your life is not something that you prayed for. It's not because of your walk with God. It is God honoring the prayers that your mama and your daddy prayed, even though you have been disobedient. There are some marriages that are troubled right now because one of the spouses has such a relationship with God before they met you that God had promised to do something and God's doing it 
and you as the other spouse are so insecure that you can't handle that God keeps doing it for your partner and you got a problem that you don't see the same thing happening for you but you ain't got enough sense to thank God for the partner that you got. And as quiet as it's kept, and I ain't trying to bring no attention to myself for sure, but I tell you, your blessing has something to do with your connection to me. Because the Bible says that the anointing starts at the head, runs down the beard, down the garment, to the very bottom of the tassel. So if that be the case, there is an anointing that God has placed upon me. And that's why you ought to always pray for me and pray that God protect me and keep me because there's something that God is doing through my life that's going to be spiritually beneficial for you. But some people can't handle a man who's anointed by God a woman who is anointed by God. So, so there is strife breaks out. Strife breaks out. And, and so Abraham, in verse 8, Abraham, this is what he said to Lot in verse 8. Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and your, my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Abraham says to Lot this. He said, listen, man, Ain't no problem. You, you, you're jealous. You have difficulty with how God is blessing us and particularly how he seems to be doing it through me. Abraham said, look, just pick whatever part of the land you want and take it. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Just get whatever you want. Ain't no problem. Because Abraham knows where the blessing starts from. The reason you need an altar is because when God gives you a vision and a dream, you start walking in his will. There are some places, there are some people, and there are some things that you're going to have to let go. There are places, there are people, there are things that you're going to have to separate yourself from. Because I need to inform you that um, every, well, let me put it first like this. Separation is important because separation has to do with destiny. Therefore, Everybody who starts with you are not necessarily meant to end with you. There are some people who start the journey, but who don't need to go the whole journey with you because they are not a part of your destiny. And our problem is we try to drag people into our future who ain't supposed to be there. 
We're trying to bring people into our future who, who are un, they're unacceptable or they, they are unwilling to accept the vision that God gave you. The reason why they can't accept the vision God gave you because he gave it to you and they were not the recipients of it. And rather than moaning and groaning and crying about somebody who left you, you better start telling the Lord, thank you. Because just because they were in your space don't mean they're supposed to stay in your space. And sometimes only time can reveal who's with you. I'm the pastor of the Canaan Church for 40 years. Everybody who's started with me, everybody who's been a part of this church under 40 years ain't with me now. I ain't crying about that. And I'm not looking for any of them to come back. Don't want them to come back. Because if they were meant to be a part of this church through my destiny, they'd be here now. So I'm saying, fare thee well. The Lord watched between me and thee while we absent one from another. God bless you. Hallelujah. Bye-bye, child. Goodbye. So long. Now you may think that's mean-spirited. Get rid of every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you. And run this race with patience, says the writer of the book of Hebrews. And I've, I've been pastor long enough and I've been a Christian long enough to know the devil will send you some people. So what is so important is that you live your life with discernment. And discernment is knowing the difference between what's right and what's wrong. And discernment is knowing the difference between what's right and what looks to be right. And sometimes people have the gift of gab. They can talk. They make themselves present as though they are this, that, and the other. But, but after a while, it's like that wolf that showed up at the house of the three little pigs saying he was grandmother. And they said, but grandmother, your ears are so big. And grandmother, what's that wagging out behind your dress? And your teeth are so large. Because see, people can only act for so long. But if you operate with discernment, after a while, you'll be able to see them for who they are. And your destiny is so important. Hear me, your destiny is so important. You can ill afford to let somebody else make you forfeit on what God has promised you. Now, now watch this, watch this. When you operate like Abraham and you have a loving and a kind spirit about you and you know who you are even when people hurt you 
you will bless the people who hurt you. Because Lot ended up going to Sodom and Gomorrah. And four of five kings came together as a consortium and they conquered Sodom and Gomorrah. And when they conquered Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 11 in chapter 14 says, they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. They didn't take Abram because Abram wasn't there. Abram is free. Abram is still blessed. Abram could be going on his journey. But when he heard that Lot had been taken captive when Sodom and Gomorrah was conquered, of his own choice, Abram went back and delivered Lot. Because when you are spiritually secure and you know who you are, you can be good to people who have been mean to you. You can bless people who have hurt you and you do it because it's your choice. Abraham went back and delivered Lot. There were five kings who came against Sodom and Gomorrah and Abram took 318 men and conquered five kings. How did he do it? Because he had the Lord on his side. And when God is for you, who can be against you? Then we are told that Abraham has this encounter with this strange person by the name of Melchizedek, king of Salem. And Melchizedek then blesses Abram. He says to Abram, blessed be Abram of God most high possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands and then Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe he gave him a tithe because Abram is saying to God I want to thank you for what you've done for me now that's the background that then takes us to the final encounter in Genesis chapter 15 because Genesis chapter 15 opens by saying after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. God says to Abram, in spite of the conflict, in spite of the trials and the tribulations, be assured that I will keep my promise. Ain't it good to know that God is a promise keeper? And, and Abram wants to know from God, he says, well, Lord, I'm, I'm having birthdays, but I don't have a child. So maybe it's going, this seed is going to be fulfilled through my servant, Eleazar. And God says to Abram, no, it ain't coming through your servant, Eleazar, but it's going to come through your loins, through the seed of you and Sarah. So then God says to Abraham, step outside, look in the sky. Can you count the number of stars that are in the sky? Abraham says, no, I can't count them. God says to Abraham, your descendants would be as many in number as the stars in the sky that you cannot count. And one of the most significant verses in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 and it says concerning Abram and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. When Paul writes to the church at Rome, when you read Romans chapter 4, Paul says that Abraham did not come into a right relationship because of circumcision. He didn't come into a right relationship with God because of the law, but he came into a right relationship with God by faith because he believed in God when he had hope against hope. So he was speaking those things that are not as though they were. 
That's why he's the father of faith. And then God says to Abraham, I want you to make a sacrifice. Take a bull, take a three-year-old bull, take a three-year-old uh, goat, take a three-year-old ram, and take a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He says, split the bull, the ram, and the goat in half and, and make a sacrifice. Now, if Abraham is making a sacrifice according to what God asked him to do, he had to have an altar. Because you can't make, an altar, you can't make a sacrifice without an altar. And as, as Abraham lays the sacrifices on the altar and he worships God, verse 11 in chapter 15 says, and when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. The carcasses tried to take the sacrifice that Abraham was making to God. They tried to steal the sacrifice. But Abraham fought for the sacrifice. Look at somebody tell me, you got to fight for your sacrifice. We're told in Romans, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Our sacrifice is not a bull, it's not a ram, it's not a goat, it's our very lives. We lay ourselves on the altar. We put on the altar our commitment. We put on the altar our consecration. We put on the altar our dedication. We put on the altar our devotion. We put on the altar Alter, uh, the, the, the ministry and the service and the prayers and the intercessions that we make for God but there are spirits in the spirit realm demons unclean spirits like spiritual vultures they want to come and try to take your sacrifice off the altar but I'm going to close this study today by telling you you better fight for your sacrifice yeah, fight for the prayers you pray. Fight for the intercession. Fight for your commitment. Fight for your faith. Fight for the blessing. Fight for the miracle. Just because the demons come against you, it don't mean that you got to give in. No, the Bible declares that greater is he who's within us than he that's within the world. You got to fight for it. And when you fight for the love, God's going to show himself strong on your behalf. Because when you keep reading chapter 15, the Bible says, that because Abraham fought for the sacrifice it says later on that evening that a burning smoke fire came walking uh, down the middle of the sacrifice and consumed the sacrifice the fire of God came walking down the middle of the sacrifice and then God reiterated and God went back over and assured Abraham again that the covenant I made with you the promise I made with you the vision I I gave to you. Abraham, it is sure, it is certain I will fulfill what I told you that I'm going to do. So I'm going to wrap the lesson up telling you that if you fight for your sacrifice you'll find out after a while that the fire of the Holy Ghost will show up in your life and God will reassure you that whatever you've had to go through, don't worry about it because I'm going to see you through. So I think I ought to tell some here today that I thank God for my altar I said I thank God for the altar I thank God for the altar because I've had trials and I've had tribulations but I thank God for the altar I've had problems and I've had pain but I thank God for the altar I've had suffering and I had sorrow but I thank God for the altar because I stayed at the altar long enough for the 
the fire of the Holy Ghost to show up. I stayed at the altar long enough until I could start declaring they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not get weary. They'll walk and not faint. I stayed at the altar long enough so I could say to myself, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I stayed at the altar long enough to declare now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I stayed at the altar long enough so I could remind myself that I can do all things through God, through Christ who strengthens me. I stayed at the altar long enough because I could say that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I stayed at the altar long enough till I could start singing when peace like a river attendeth my way when billows like sorrow roll but whatever my lot thou has taught me to say it is well with my soul thank God for the altar thank God for the altar every Christian needs an altar and you gotta keep the fire burning. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.